0: Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for life. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you for life in Christ. That though we die, yet shall we live. Thank you that you have taken Gladys home. Thank you for answering all those prayers of hers since her husband died. And yet, Lord, we pray that you would comfort those who grieve. But thank you, Lord, that our grief is overwhelmed with hope and with assurance that she truly has gone home. Lord, we thank you for this, your word. We pray that you would minister to us through your word and that your spirit would be at work in this place in each of our lives during these next moments. We ask in Jesus' holy and glorious and righteous name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 23. Before I read that passage, I want to read the beginning of the letter. Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. Paul is identifying himself as the author of this letter, and giving his credentials, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he's writing this as one who serves by the will of God. And then he tells us who he's writing the letter to. You know, anybody who wants may pick up the Bible and read it, and we actually hope and pray that many who normally don't would, that they would read the Bible. But I want you to understand that the Bible is written to a specific people. The Bible is written to the people of God. And they are the people of God because God has chosen them to be his people. It was Israel in the Old Testament. And so when you read the the words of Moses, Moses is writing to Israel. When you read the words of the prophets, they're writing to Israel. And then when it comes to the New Testament, it's, it's the new Israel. It's still the people of God. Listen to this. Paul is writing to the church of God, which is at Corinth. The church, the ecclesia. The the called out. These are those who have been called out of the world to have this special, unique relationship with God. And he goes on to say, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. This is who Paul is writing to. Saints by calling. Not saints by the proclamation of a church because you've performed some sort of miracle. Saints, because you've been made holy in Christ. Saint Joe, Saint Bob, Saint Sam. Somebody said to me one day, I helped them in a post office. Oh, you're an angel. I said, I'm not an angel, I'm a saint. (laughs) You should have seen the people who You think you're laughing. And I was serious. To the saints by calling, who are in every place with all, so it's not just to those in, in Corinth, with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. That's who this book is written to. Now, you've heard that? Keep that in mind. Now look at what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and he's writing to the church, to believers. This is what he writes. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead. Wow, good question. How's that possible? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, oh now, I, I studied logic my first year in college. Man, this is this is perfect logic that we're gonna follow here. If there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Tom, all those years. Tim, all those years. Why? You could have been doing something else. You could have been flying airplanes. You could have been golfing. Uh, uh, I guess... Writing books, that's it. (laughs) If there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also, your faith is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God. Because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. Are you listening to this? You see this? For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. Which is what many people tell you it is anyways, right? But it is worthless if Christ has not been raised you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who have died trusting in Christ, have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians um, he talks about the fact that we are all dead in our trespasses and sins that's that's how we were born that's that's how we come into the world dead in our trespasses and sins and then my two favorite words occur but God but God who is rich in mercy has made you alive together with Christ. Can you? any of you raise someone who's dead? You can't, you can't do that. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You certainly couldn't raise yourself to life eternal, but God who is rich in mercy has made us alive together with Christ. Well, here we have another but. If we have hoped in Christ only in this life, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now, but now, Christ has been raised from the dead. This is a proclamation coming from God through Paul. Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep. Those who have died. He's the first. Now I know other men were raised from the dead. Lazarus was raised from the dead. The son of the widow of Nain was raised from the dead. But you know what happened? Those people had to die again. So if you think it'd be great to be raised from the dead, then you have to go through it a second time. Jesus is the one, the first, to be raised from the dead, never to die again. But he's the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, By Adam came death. By a man also came the resurrection of the dead. By Jesus came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. After that, all men will be saved. Not what it says, is it? Christ the first fruits. after that, those who are Christ at his coming. Yes, my uh, mother-in-law and father-in-law had this large notebook. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't as small as a large notebook with people that they prayed for every day. every one of their children, every one of their grandchildren, great-grandchildren. They had it all, all written down because there's no way they would have remembered those names otherwise. But so what? It was written down and they prayed for them. Missionaries, we go to different churches, they prayed for our pastors, And they prayed all the time and I imagine that somewhere along the line they were praying for me for what I'd be doing right now Bob spoke about his mother I'm going to speak about his mother's Lord and I believe because they prayed so much, what they had want me to do is challenge each of you, each and every one of you, to examine your own soul, to know whether or not you know the Lord that they knew. And so I'm going to ask you a series of questions. I want you to answer each of these as honestly as you can. You don't need to give the answer you think I want to hear because I'm not going to hear you. I don't want you to answer out loud, just in your own head. No one can hear you, but you will know your answer and you'll know if you're answering truthfully or not. So here we go. First of all, do you regard yourself as a sinner and do you regard yourself as a sinner who is fully dependent upon the grace and mercy of God? There's no picking yourself up by your own bootstraps. There's no standing before God and saying, well, I was pretty good. I wasn't as bad as these other people. There's no saying, I tried. You need to be dependent, not on yourself, but on God, and on God's grace, and on God's mercy. Grace is giving you what you could never deserve. Mercy is withholding from you what you do deserve. God, give me grace, and God, give me mercy. Second question, and this isn't for you to think of, what's the other person answering to this question? This is for each and every one of us individually. Do you recognize the death of Christ as a sacrifice for your sin? You know, we hear so much of those who wanna say, Jesus was a good man. He lived an exemplary life. If we could just follow his example. I read his teachings, what great teachings. If we could just listen to those teachings and implement those into our lives. And the ultimate example was that he laid down his life. Well, you know, we should follow that example. We ought to lay down our lives. Well, you know, there's something to that. He was a great example. His teaching was the best ever. But the death of Christ is a sacrifice in this way the punishment for sin from the very beginning is death. And that death is an eternity of suffering. We're all sinners, that's what we deserve. And yet God sent his son, his only begotten son, to be a sacrifice for sin, to live a life without sin, So that he didn't deserve to die. And then on the cross to bear the sin of his people. So that he would die in our place. A number of years ago, I heard of a comedian who said, "Um, why would I want to go to heaven? All my friends are going to be in hell. And the preacher I heard mention this said, you know, the problem with that type of thinking is in this life, we all receive, everybody on the face of the earth receives what is known as common grace. The sun shines, what, only on believers? It shines on believers and unbelievers. The the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Um, those who are terrorists have friends. Those who are murderers have friends. Those who are profane have friends. Rapists, of all people, have friends in this life. But what they're going to experience in hell is that there is no common grace. Common grace allows everyone to have a relationship with other people. In hell, there are no friends. You want to make a joke about it? All my friends will be in hell? They won't be your friends in hell. They may be there, the ones who are your friends here, but they won't be your friends there. There, everyone will act toward everyone else as if You are my worst enemy. And I will be your worst enemy. That's part of what it means to suffer the the pains and the fires of hell. It will even be the wrath of one another in hell. You don't want to go to hell. And so I ask, do you humbly believe that you personally have been redeemed, rescued from the eternal fires of hell by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. This is why we can celebrate, celebrate mom's passing. Because we know that she believed this. We know that Jesus was her personal savior. She trusted in the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross for having been the price paid for her sin. Is that your hope? Is that what you believe? Do you know with grateful assurance that you have been justified by faith? You aren't justified by what you do. You know, we as the people of God, we are to gather for worship. We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But we're not justified because we attend church every Sunday morning. We're not justified because we teach Sunday school. Or we play in the band. We're not justified because we're a deacon or we're an elder. We are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. In what he has done. Do you know with grateful assurance that you have this assurance, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine? Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Do you have this grateful assurance that you have been justified by faith? Do you have grateful assurance that you are an adopted child of God? When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman born under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. We're adopted into God's family. That's, on the basis of that, we call God our Father. Abba, Father, Daddy, Papa. The Pope isn't Papa. God is Papa. He is our Father, our Heavenly Father. Believing in Christ, trusting in Christ, knowing God, you are an adopted child of God. And do you know with grateful assurance, and I love this one with all my heart, that the Holy Spirit dwells in you. There are three persons in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the believer is the temple in which the Holy Spirit dwells. This is incredible. This is incredible. How do we live our lives not mindful of the fact that the Spirit dwells within us, but only if our faith is in Christ? But if your faith isn't in Christ, then we pray for you that, your faith would be in Christ, that you would come to him, that his spirit would dwell in you. Two more questions. It hasn't been an hour yet, has it? Do you fully accept the Bible as the infallible, inerrant word of God? God is without error. God is completely trustworthy. If this is his word, then it also must be completely trustworthy and without error. Do you believe that? I was talking to one of my high school friends just last week back in my hometown. And it was clear that he had a God of his own making. And I said that to him. And I said, why would you try to come up with your own God when God has revealed himself to us in the Bible? Why don't you hear what the Bible has to say? Listen to it. Search it. Know it. Sit under the preaching of it. And then, coupled coupled with that is, do you fully accept the authority of God over every area of your life? We call God Lord. We refer, refer to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Listen, maybe we don't think this way in our culture any longer, but if someone is your Lord, you are his servant. You are his slave. Christ is my Lord. God is my Lord. And so, yes, he has complete authority over every area of my life. And that takes me back to this idea of prayer. If God has authority over every area of my life, why wouldn't I take everything to God in prayer? Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because... We do not carry everything to God in prayer. I heard last year year I was reading something about an elder who had taken his son to be examined by the other elders for church membership. And they had gone through a whole list of questions and his son had answered these questions. He was very pleased with how his son had done and then one of the elders said, I have one, one last question. And when this elder who brought his son heard that, he thought this was a great question. So here's the last question. Do you love God? Wouldn't you love to ask that of your mother right now? Well, you know the answer, don't you? She was not perfect. Not like Bob, but she was not perfect. But boy, did she love God. Those people at Hearthstone saw that. Those who cared for her, those who came as her companions, and the people in that place saw that she loved God. She forgets people's names. Jill would quiz her each morning when when she was still living at home with us. She couldn't remember something for five minutes. But then you bow your head to pray. And she could pray like she always had. And she would walk around the house like she walked around Hearthstone, singing I sing songs by the temptations and the four tops. She sang hymns. Do you love God? I will ask, do you believe in God? Do you trust in God? But the question here is, do you love God? Know this, that if you do, It is because he first loved you. Let us pray. For as much as it has pleased Almighty God and His wise providence, to take out of this world the soul of our beloved mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, sister in the Lord. We therefore commit her body to the ground, And we come, O Lord, to honor you, her Lord, and ours. To know that through faith in Christ, we have the forgiveness of our sin, and we have life everlasting. And O Lord, how we pray for those who do not have this knowledge and for this assurance, that you, O Lord, would extend to them the same grace and mercy that you have extended to us. Remove their hearts of stone and give them, Lord, life, life in Christ, whom to know aright is life eternal,